Hello and welcome to the Conflict Skills Podcast. I'm your host, professional mediator Simon Good. In today's episode of the podcast, I'll be talking about de-escalation skills. I have received a few messages about this recently, just different questions relating to de-escalation. How do I calm? One of them was about my kids down when they're in full-on meltdown mode. And another question that really stood out to me was a challenge dealing with a neighbor who was speeding. And when the person who wrote me the message went and talked to them, they said that the the neighbor just hit the roof you know how dare you accuse me of whatever it was like endangering kids or something like that and so I thought it might be a helpful topic just to revisit how do we bring someone down when they're seeing red they're really in that red zone of the fight or flight response and they're on the attack and we're needing to first of all contain that situation but in many of these types of uh, conversations we've actually got something that we want to achieve we hope that the neighbor will see where we're coming from about the speeding and agree to slow down we want our kid to put on their socks and get ready for school or whatever it was that triggered their meltdown that they're having in the moment and so I'll talk about some different tools that we can use to manage that and I suppose influence the other person as much as possible. Of course, we can't guarantee that they'll come down, but there are 100% things that we can do that increase the chances or of increasing the speed in which they do that, getting them to calm down more quickly. The topics that I'll be talking about today, I'll explain the fight or flight response, talk a little bit about voice and body language, and then briefly touch on the four pretty much essential tools of empathetic listening, I think. One is active listening, just what does empathy look like? And then how can we build in certainty, autonomy, and fairness? Empathy, certainty, autonomy, fairness, in combination with using the right tone of voice and the right body language, those are the essential tools that we need to help somebody else to calm down and to de-escalate a situation. I think that this topic of de-escalation is actually so important that if it isn't done well, if we don't find a way to de-escalate someone, it actually undermines every other effort that you make to resolve a situation. I'll say that again, if you don't de-escalate well, it can actually undermine every other effort you make to resolve a situation, whether you're managing conflict or confronting someone about something or dealing with a complaint. It doesn't matter what else you do to actually solve that problem. If the person's still in seeing red, red zone, fight or flight mode of activation, then they've got a really limited ability to think clearly. There will be very limited buy-in to whatever the plan is or agreement is that you reach and come up with at the end of the conversation. And the reason for this is that we've evolved in a hostile environment. If we think about that fight or flight response that all humans have and other mammals have as well, by the way, it's because of the environment that we've lived in. We haven't been safe. There's been animals literally that would attack us and eat us that are threats. And so we've developed mechanisms for dealing with things like that. But there are other factors that can also trigger the fight or flight response. It can be physical pain, like someone's going to hurt us or attack us. That that does activate the fight or flight mode in us. But it's also things like embarrassment or shame. That can also be seen as a threat because it influences the way that other people regard us. And historically, that's been a really dangerous thing. If people weren't willing to work with you, share food with you, share shelter with you, then you're not going to survive very long. 
It's things like exhaustion. It can be even boredom or discomfort that triggers the fight or flight response. Asking someone to go and work in the sun all day and then just asking them to do one more thing when they thought that they were about to finish, you might get a really strong reaction as a result. It could be social rejection, like being left out of something or someone saying no when you've asked them to, you know, do you want to come on a date with me? No. That's a reason why that cuts to the core. It's because we perceive that as a pretty significant threat. It could be isolation. And it's also scrutiny and criticism. It's one of the reasons why when we confront someone, criticism is the first thing that we absolutely need to avoid. Avoid When someone feels criticised, they immediately want to justify and defend themselves and it puts us in this very adversarial positioning against them. When people enter into that fight or flight response, their body prepares for action. There's a physical change, heart rate increase, blood pressure increase, adrenaline release, that kind of thing. You might notice then as a result, your muscles are tense or you feel more agitated. This is a sign of going into that fight or flight mode. Like, you know, you have to stand up in front of your colleagues and give a presentation. You might feel like you need to go to the toilet or you can't sit still or your mind just can't focus on something. These are all signs of that fight or flight mode activating. And so what typically happens is that when the threat goes, when it is removed or the situation changes, we come back to a more balanced state. And so the first step in de-escalation as we think about what could be a threat is to remove that potential for threat. It's really the perception of threat is the thing that we're wanting to remove. So I use the word safe, <laughs> and unfortunately, I think that safe word has been conscripted a bit. People think safe means, I don't know, feeling comfortable, I suppose, in some situations. I felt unsafe when you talked about that uncomfortable topic for me. Um, when I talk about the word safe, what I'm really saying is an absence of those threats, the physical pain or the social pain, the embarrassment, etc., exhaustion, boredom, discomfort, or uncertainty. We also want to remove any areas of uncertainty because, of course, that feels more scary. If we hear a noise behind a wall but we can't see what's there, we feel more anxious or worried. If we can see what it is, then we at least tend to know what we're dealing with. So when someone's in that fight-or-flight mode, I tend to think about it as red zone, green zone, or black zone. So red zone is when we go on the attack, the fight end of the spectrum. Uh, we want retaliation. We want revenge. If they've done something to us, we want to do it back to them straight away. If they've thrown a bit of food at us, we want to get back and throw food at them, teach them how it feels, serves them right, that kind of thing. And so it's this adversarial, I'm going to get you back, pursue, overwhelm type of reaction. On the other end of the spectrum is what I call the black zone. This is flight. It's just shut down. It's like, well, what's even the point of talking to you anyway? Well, if you're going to act like that, then, then, then I'm just going to leave. You know, I'm going to hang up on you. It's ending the productive element of the conversation, I suppose, but it's more of a shutting down. It's not so much I'm going to attack you. It's just like, I'm going to avoid you. I'm going to not give you the chance to engage with me. And then in the middle there, what we're aiming for is what I think about as green zone. It's when someone is empathetic and engaged, curious, they're open to ideas, they've got this solution and future focus. And so we need to make sure that we're staying in our green zone as we want to avoid, you know, yelling at our kid because they're being ridiculous. That's just going to make the situation worse. 
or Black's own would be just walking away and storming off and saying something like, if you do this one more time, you know, you're not going to live to see another day or something, this silly empty threat that we make just because we've lost it and we've gone into that Black Zone way of dealing with the situation. And when we're dealing with someone else, you might also notice that they're in the red zone or the black zone. And we would use a very similar set of de-escalation tools to bring them back into that green zone of regulation. We need to do this first, by the way, before we engage in the problem solving or solution focused type of stuff. So the first thing that we could think about is our voice. How should we speak? If our goal is to calm someone else down, then we should use a lower volume generally speaking. There might be reasons why you need to speak louder if there's a lot of background noise or something like that, that's fine. But generally a lower volume would help. Slower speed, so slow down the words that you're saying, don't necessarily start speaking as soon as the other person's finished, and a lower tone. So those three, lower volume, slower speed, lower tone, are really the essentials. And no matter what else I do, if I'm being very assertive and being very firm, I'm giving someone an ultimatum, I would still employ those three principles, low volume, slow speed, low tone. We, in general, want to use simpler and clearer language, so avoiding jargon, don't add complexity, keep reasons very simple and brief, and allow pauses and silence. So those are the first things that we need to think about. How do we actually speak? And then the next thing that follows from that is how do we sit or stand using our body language? We should in general try and convey an impression of being calm and composed. Those are the two words that I tend to think about for de-escalation, calm and composed. We want to be focused towards the person, so facing them, although we might not want to be directly opposite, you know, shoulder to shoulder squaring off against them. You might drop one of your shoulders back a little bit or turn your chair slightly if you're sitting opposite them so that it doesn't feel like it's me against you and we're, you know, in a debate you know, physically, which might then make us start to feel that way. Generally open, relaxed posture around one and a half metres distance, two arms lengths, tends to work best. There's a little bit of cultural variance in this. Even within Australia, for example, I know that people in regional areas tend to prefer to be further apart from one another. Um, but roughly one and a half metres distance within one arm's length, of course, the subconscious tendency there is to think that I might be physically attacked. And so if I'm out of striking range, then I feel more comfortable. You want to put your hands at your side, maybe relaxed on the table. It's important for your hands to be visible. So I wouldn't put my hands in my pockets or behind my back. People tend to trust you more when you can see your hands. And particularly at the beginning of a meeting or a difficult conversation, I would put my hands on the desk, probably with my palms up, rather than putting them under the desk, unless I'm so nervous that I can't stop them from shaking or something like that. And then really thinking about appropriate eye contact and that kind of thing too. All of the paraverbal cues that we can send. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. Uh, nodding, uh, facial expressions. All of these should be congruent with how they're feeling. So if they're really angry, we should look a little bit concerned. We don't want to look happy or gleeful or sarcastically like here we go again type of thing. We should act concerned. Okay, this sounds like a serious situation here. And when they get that congruent, congruent excuse me, type of response from us, it then tends to make them feel more confident. So the four steps that we need to employ then, I think we've talked about how we sit and stand and how we speak. The four steps that we need to employ are empathy, certainty, 
autonomy, giving them autonomy, and then a sense of fairness. So starting with empathy, we want to show them that their concerns are being taken seriously. So we do this by exploring their perspective. We might ask open and closed-ended questions or mirror, which is where we basically repeat back a few of the words that they said. So asking open questions like what happened, how did that play out, what was that like for you when that was going on, how did you respond, what and how questions tend to work really well. And they're called open questions because the person can choose what to focus on. They work particularly well for de-escalation because we don't make the mistake of assuming that we know what's important or you know, we sort of give that person a chance to express themselves. Closed-ended questions are fine, especially at the beginning of a conversation. A question like, have you talked to anyone else in the team before me? Or um, when you say that you've contacted us previously, was that by phone or by email? Those kind of questions are fine, and they actually can be really nice, organic ways to bring focus to a conversation, like I want to talk about the previous interactions. That's a nice way of getting on that topic, rather than just saying, yeah, 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 what I need you to do is tell me about the previous interactions. I suppose we want to give them the sense of being in the driver's seat where possible. So this is like a nice way of saying, let's talk about this, and you guide the conversation there using the questions that you ask. Mirroring is where we repeat back a few of the words that the person said. So if they say something like, this is ridiculous, or I don't want to go, or um, I've told you this three times, or you're the third person I've come and spoken to about this, we just repeat back a few of the words that they've used. I'm the third person you've spoken to? Yes, I was just in here last time, and I told them that if you don't fix this, then I demand a refund. It's at the point where if it's not fixed, you expect a refund. So I just repeat back the words that they've said, but it encourages them to keep speaking. It's this really lovely way of expanding their perspective and giving them a chance to, I guess, tell their story, express themselves, have events, however you'd like to think about it. We want to make meaningful, congruent responses. Uh Uh-huh, wow, okay, gosh, gee, you know, that kind of thing, just to let them know that we're listening and keep the focus on them. A common mistake that people often make is that they start to talk about themselves at this stage. I know how you feel. I went through the same thing last time I did this and this and this. And we think that that's going to create rapport, but unfortunately it takes the focus off them and puts it back on you. And if the person is pretty worked up, that's not going to calm them down at all. They don't care what you've done or what your experience is. Their focus in the moment is on themselves and it's more effective to meet them there to say that must be really frustrating rather than saying, I know how you feel, I felt frustrated as well. The next tool that we want to employ is certainty. How can we clarify expectations and help the other person to be clear on next steps and what's going to happen from here? So we would really in detail explain a process needed. If I'm taking a complaint from the person and I need to talk to my manager or I need them to email me through photos or whatever it is, really outlining the steps that I need from them and then what will happen after that. So I'd say, okay, well, if it's helpful, I can walk you through the steps in our complaints process. So the first thing I'll need from you is some photos. I can email you through a list of instructions or guidelines, but there's a few particular bits and pieces that we need from you. From there, we lodge the 
um, application for refund in our system. That will be allocated to one of our complaints managers, including myself, so it's me or someone else. We'll pick that up within 24 hours and start the process of organising your refund. Assuming that the photos match what we need, then we can get that sorted within three or four days typically, but we normally say we expect it within up to a week. So we really go into detail, outlining to them what we need from them. Whereas if we just said something like, okay, well, look, before I can do anything, I need some photos from you. Well, that's not likely to calm them down. They're going to say, what do you mean you need photos from me? I've already sent this previously. And you might inadvertently actually get them more worked up. Um, So we would explain the steps needed. Look, you know, talking to your kid, there's three things you need to do before we can get ready to go to school. Put your socks on, brush your teeth and get your hat, pack your bag, whatever it is. Uh, Once you've done those, however much time you've got left until 8.30, you can have some free play or look, these are the three things I can do for you, but I need you to do these other four things. Really making sure that we build in certainty there. So I don't yell at them. You're being ridiculous. Hurry up and get ready. We're nearly late or we're already late, whatever it is. I'd say, I need you to stop what you're doing now. Go downstairs and put your socks on. We would outline options. Look, you can do this or this or this. I can put this in for you or you can do it yourself. We go step by step asking them for specific requests. Like if we could organize a refund, would you consider this to be resolved? And then follow up in writing where needed. I should, I could say to them, look, I know this is a lot to take in over the phone. Would you like me just to send you through an email outlining this in dot points? So you've got it there as a bit of a reference if needed. Step three is we want to give them autonomy. Let them feel like they're in the driver's seat. Let them make a decision. So you could say something like, look, you still need to put your socks on and brush your teeth. What do you want to do first? Do you want to brush your teeth now or do it after your socks? We could say to a customer something like, look, there's a few options. If you'd like, I can go through this on the phone with you. Or if it's easier, I'd be happy to send you through a link and you can fill it in online. Giving them that choice often helps them to feel like they're in control. And then if they say, well, no, I definitely want to go through it on the phone with you. It's like, yep, no worries. That's fine with me. Would you like to get started now? Again, we're giving them that sense of control. Would you like to get started? Are you ready to go? Or do you need a minute to, you know, open up your computer or grab a drink or, you know, anything like that Get settled? We give them choice about the process. Like, are you ready to go? Or do you need a minute to go through your notes? Uh, But we also give them choice around the issue itself. You know, would you like me to go and talk to them for you? Or would you like to give it a go and then come to me if you're not able to resolve it directly? Allowing time is really important here. Once you've given somebody a choice, you need them to give them a minute to process. Don't make a mistake of assuming that their reaction, the immediate thing that they say, is a lasting decision that they've made. It's a very common issue, I know, in some couples, uh, including my own. You know, well, why did you say that if you didn't want to go? Why did you say yes if you didn't want to do this? Why did you say... And it's like, well, people change their mind. (laughs) And one of the tools that we need to use in de-escalation is giving people space. We don't want to increase the sense of pressure. Of course, that'll push someone into the red zone or the black zone. So give them some time. And then once they've made the choice, just confirm it. So it sounds like you'd like to do this if I got that right. Again, that's almost just helping them to externalize it and confirm it in themselves, giving them an opportunity just to check is there something else I'd prefer or is this still what we're doing and then the final step is fairness if you're giving reasons you need to keep them general and consistent saying something like 
look, if we don't leave at 8.30, I'm going to be late for work and we've only got five minutes left. We don't have time. We've only got five minutes until 8.30. That's when we need to leave. Or talking to someone about reasons for a bad decision, you know, something that they're not happy about. Uh, Look, I'm sorry, in this situation, it's outside of the guidelines for promotion. Uh, I know that you feel like your work warrants a promotion. And as I've said, if I could make an exception, I'd be happy to consider it. In this case, what you've done is outside the guidelines that we have. So there's really nothing that I can do. So keeping those reasons general. You might have an opportunity to offer compensation sometimes, like maybe someone's missed out on a promotion, but you can give them a new project to work on or give them a day off or a training course or I don't know, maybe there is something that you can offer them, a nicer desk at the office. If you're not able to help your kid get dressed because you're rushed for time or you want them to do it themselves, maybe there's a little thing you can offer them. No, you need to get dressed yourself, but if you like, I can help you pack your bag or pack your lunchbox or something. Um, No, there's no lollies, there's no dessert tonight, but if you like, I'd be happy to read you a story. People often feel happy with an outcome if they feel like they're getting something in return. Um, And interestingly, even when something goes wrong, like at a restaurant when someone's meal is late or there's a mistake with someone's order, customers are actually more likely to go back to the same restaurant, even when a mistake was made, if they feel like there was a fair type of way that it was dealt with and that it was given adequate uh, importance. So if the wait staff came over and said, gosh, I'm so sorry, I'm going to go and talk to the staff in the restaurant, the cook, the chef, and get him to organise a replacement as soon as possible. Uh, Again, I'm so sorry, what if we organise a free drink? Would you like a glass of wine or something while you're waiting? That type of a response tends to actually make people feel more inclined to go back and visit a business again. So the same thing, of course, would be true for a staff member. If they're not happy about something that's happened at work, maybe there's a way for you to give them a little bit of extra support, a little bit of kindness, a little bit of unexpected specialness to them, if you know what I mean, like taking them out for a drink or something, if that's the kind of thing that would resonate with them. Uh, That might mean that they can settle and accept a decision that went against them or a challenge that they've needed to overcome without support and maybe it hasn't been fair like you've wanted to give them something but unfortunately due to constraints around budget or staffing or something like that you haven't been able to. I know for me it's been a tool I've really used a lot with clients when I've needed to reschedule sessions for example I always offer something like I'm so sorry would it would it be helpful to organize an additional session you know I know it's challenging getting all of your staff to move from this date to this date if there's any stragglers that you're not able to organize I'd be happy to do a one-on-one online session with them or give them free access to an online course or something like that it's kind of like I know I'm causing you this inconvenience and ahead of time I just wanted to try and be fair And whether or not people take you up on that offer that you're making to them, the key here is the message that they're getting, which is that this is a fair process. So I hope that that's helpful for you, talking about body language and tone of voice, and then stepping through those four essential tools there of empathy, certainty, autonomy, and fairness. If you've got a question about this or a topic that you'd like me to cover in a future episode of the podcast, you can shoot me an email. It's podcast at simongood.com. 
and I'm actually launching a free version of de-escalation skills training on my website shortly. So if you'd like to register for that, I'll, I'll put a pre-registration link on the website as well. I'll try and do that today before the podcast episode goes live. Thank you so much for listening. Hope to see you again in a future episode. Bye for now.